I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. Today we're going to explore the relevant words of Jesus Christ, how they relate to me, you, our lives. So, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, good morning, and happy Sabbath to you. What a delight to spend our time in worship. We have been in a series through the course of this summer entitled Revival. And today, the key, the key. You notice that I have a variety of keys up here. There are four of them. And we're going to talk about four different keys today. As we do so, a couple of things I would love for you to know and understand. Today is the weekend before, this is a Sabbath before the start of the school year for our university. And so we have been just delighted both at Connect Goliath Wall and our adoration in the park. Those of you that stayed home because of rain, you missed out. It did not rain. It was lovely in the park, and including our 9 o'clock outdoor family Sabbath school. And we just came from the park where we dedicated our student leaders. We're going to be able to meet just a slight number, a handful of student leader representatives that we're going to involve in, in a little bit of a dedication with you right here online. Uh, and it's partly to dedicate them, partly to dedicate our hearts to prayer for them as we continue the key, the key. So I'd like to invite you to Joshua and chapter 1. If you don't mind turning to Joshua chapter 1, again, uh, we're going to talk about keys today. If you are familiar, you would know that at this Sabbath right before the school year, most recently, in fact the last three years, this being the fourth since I've been here, we started this metaphor of a lanyard with a key, unique key, each one from the other, uh, that we would give to our students. As if to say, look, we acknowledge I acknowledge, by the way, that I have power. I've been given certain kinds of responsibilities. And part of what I want to do is I want to give that away to our student leaders. I want to give, Cheryl, I want to give you um, not just invitation, not just expectation, not just responsibility, but also authority, uh, the key today. So we're going to take a look at these four different keys as we spend our time. You've made your way to Joshua chapter 1, and in verse 1, it reads this way. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, aid. Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River to the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. And I'll give you every place you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give to them. And I will give you, I will give you everywhere your foot settles, where you walk, I will give you. Young leader, friend of mine, Juan Carlos, uh, God wants to give you a responsibility of leadership 
all along the way, where your feet fall, he wants to give you that land. So let's bow our heads as we pray together over the key. Father, bless us as we talk. Bless us as we spend our time together. We, um, we're so delighted to have our students back on campus, and we, we pray a blessing and encouragement upon them. Lord, if there is any way that we can do this successfully through your guidance, we plead for that and we claim it. And as we, the church family of our university, continue to worship together, we also pledge ourselves in prayer, in responsibility, in handing the keys to these young leaders. So bless us, bless them as we talk today. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen and amen. So uh, the story of Joshua is one we're going to do a little bit of digging in. I want to invite you to a little lesser known spot in Joshua, Joshua chapter 14. If you are familiar, you would know that about Joshua chapter 13, while earlier on they've crossed the Jordan River under Joshua's leadership, they have circled the, Jericho, the walls of Jericho till they fell. They have been in various battles and difficulty and challenges, and now they've gotten to the place. The land is not entirely tamed. The land is not entirely available, but... Now, Joshua brings representatives of the different tribes forward and he is dividing up the spaces and the territories and the lands uh, based on the sizes of the tribes and the different, uh, the different needs of the tribes and so forth. And so we hit the 14th chapter of Joshua and partway in, about verse 6, it says this. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, now let's just, let's just time out, call time out, and make sure we understand who we're talking about. How many of you uh, know many stories of Caleb that doesn't involve Joshua? <laughs> if you say Caleb, it's almost always followed by and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua. Joshua gets some of his own building, but Caleb and Joshua. So we know a bit about them. By the way, Caleb is the, one of the leaders. He is a representative of the tribe of Judah. And so in this moment, Judah is coming forward. They're divvying up the lands. Judah's the largest tribe. What is it that's going to happen? Where will they be given? Caleb and Joshua. He says, Caleb does to Joshua, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me, the two of us. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought back to him a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. You remember, right? You remember all the way back in Numbers chapter 13, chapter 14, God called upon Moses to send advanced scout into the land of Canaan. They were perched on the precipice of the Jordan. They were ready to be led by God into the Canaan to claim the land that he was going to give to them. And they sent these spies, 12 spies. Let's just, let's just find our way there. If you turn to Numbers chapter 13, that first verse, the Lord says to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. By the way, uh, as we listen to what happens in the story, they're going to come back and 10 of the spies are going to say, this is not a good idea. This is just a bad idea to go in there. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, led by the way, if you listen to the story, Caleb is the speaker. Caleb is the one who steps up and speaks out and says, let's go, let's do this thing. Caleb and Joshua both voting to go. 
it can kind of make you think that what was going on there is that Moses is saying, okay, you all go in and come back and then we'll have a little vote and there will be like we'll have electoral college or we'll have, uh, you know, maybe a, see what the majority think or whatever. No, no, no. That's not what the process was. The process was God saying, I'm going to give you this land. Now I want you to send some people in advance to come back to tell you about it. It wasn't a question of whether they were going. We're going. And in they travel and they inspect the land. Caleb in the sixth verse, son of Jephunneh, and eighth verse from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. Hoshea becomes Joshua, renamed by Moses. Caleb and Joshua return along with the other ten sent them to explore. They go through the countryside. They go to these areas that they, that they are so hopeful about to see, are there some choice parts of Canaan? And there are, by the way. They'll return with grapes that are about the size of a fist. I mean, huge pieces of fruit and stories to tell of what it was like there. It's a beautiful land. It's a wonderful land, but there's some problems. One, it's a very hilly country. It's mountainous country. It is fertile, but there are also, of course, I mean, think about it. If there is really wonderful, delightful, awesome land in a countryside and there are people in the countryside, wouldn't you think the people would have wanted the good land? So they're there. Not only that, if you got more than one person who wants the same piece of land, you wouldn't be surprised to find out that the most fearsome people would actually conquer it and drive out the others, right? So that as they come back with the stories, yes, there's tremendous land in that hill country. There's awesome stuff. But the problem is they have these fortified cities. They have the high ground. There are giants in this land. It's not just easy time. Sometimes when we talk about the Canaan land, when we talk about going into the promised land, we forget what it was for the Israelites to go into the promised land. We think, well, when we go into the promised land, then the work's done, right? No, no, no. That's when the work starts. Is going in to the promised land. We sometimes forget that God calls us to the challenges of our day, to the difficulties of our community. But there they go and return. And over a period of time now, the naysayers, the, the, the individuals who don't want to go, who are, they're inciting fear among the people, and they start spreading their, is, I mean, this is the way you do it, right? You just start grumbling and grumbling and that starts to multiply and everybody loves a bad story to tell. No, oh, it's difficult. It's terrible. It's not going to work well. We're going to be in trouble. It's, ah, oh, have you seen the... <clears throat> in the 14th chapter, we build to this point where we read in the first verse, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. By the way, uh, all the people of the community, we could wander from one item to another that have happened over the course of this summer and we could find ourselves describing it that way, the people of the community weeping aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. So you've got this plan that God says he wants to take us into Canaan. Your plan? Eh, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than... Do, do you have anybody who's, who just speaks with such hyperbole in their life? I mean, everything is the worst. It's terrible. We're just going to die. I'm starving. Uh. <laughs> well, there they are. I wish we had died back in Egypt. 
how forgetful are they? They have been led out of Egypt with wealth and with freedom. They've walked on dry ground through a sea. They have been provided for at every turn by God. But anytime there's a little difficulty, it is so it is so true to the human nature they turn back to grumbling and so then in the third verse why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword our wives and children will be taken as plunder wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt again God has said we're going forward I'm going to give you this land go in and take, check it out take a look at it before we go we're going to go I'm going to give you this land oh so God's just going to kill us out here wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. As we consider this first key, working our way through four keys, as we consider this first key, I'm going to suggest to you there are some, when difficulty arises, that want to turn and look and talk. Isn't it true, even in church settings, talk about how it used to be. Talk about going back. Get, let's get back to the way it was. You know, they never, when I was a boy, we just didn't have that as an issue. Everybody understood how the right way to do it. If we could just get back to the way it was, back in Egypt, back Key number one, God is not calling us back to the way it was. He's calling us forward. I find myself saying it even now. I can't wait till we get back to normal. The truth is, in the journey of a Christian, you don't, it isn't back, it's forward. To just go back to the way things were, that wouldn't be nearly good enough. Besides, there are difficulties and challenges of our day. There are giants in the land. There are fortified cities. There are this mountainous high country that God is calling us to. And he has promised every place your feet fall, I will guide you. I will give it to you. But I'm calling you to go forward. Forward. I talked with a couple of different students. Cheryl and I were talking on our little golf cart ride over here. I think there are plenty of students right now who are feeling a little fatalistic about this school year. You know, the social distancing, the mask wearing, it's all okay, but is it really worth it because we're just going to not be able to make it through the year anyway? God's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm calling you forward. You'll see it when I, when I get you there. And I got no promises to make about how the school year will go, but I just know that God is used to doing audacious things on behalf of his people who move forward. And he's not calling us back to Egypt He's not calling us even back to the way last year was. He's calling us forward into his reality for us in this season. And you as a leader need to find your space calling God's people forward in the dormitories. We, we spent a bit of time there in the park dedicating our, our RAs, our student leaders, our RAs, our student mentors, our student association officers, our campus ministries leaders as we moved forward and we set our sights forward. So key number one is this. Forward. Forward. Each of these keys, a little bit different, one from the other, all the way down to the last key. We'll get to the last one. It's a very tiny key, and it's going to be focal. It's going to be an important piece. But we return now to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. And as we read, <clears throat> picking back up in the sixth verse, Joshua chapter 14, um, 
I'm back in numbers, so I need to jump to Joshua chapter 14. Now the people of Judah approached, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, says to Joshua, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. We're reviewing. He said, look, Pat, you remember, you remember Numbers 13, Numbers 14. You remember the trip that we went on. You remember us coming back and in good conscience, faithful to God, saying we should go forward. And when we didn't, the desperation, the difficulty, because we did not follow God's lead then. But Moses promised us. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. And as we look our way forward, Caleb shares I've got a plan, I've got an idea. I was told I would have access to the, this specific land. I brought back that report according to my convictions. My fellow Israelites went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt with fear. We just reviewed it. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly so that on that day that Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that your children forever, that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now, just as God has promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved, <clears throat> while Israel uh, moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. So time out, time out, time out. As you follow this, 45 years have gone, it was, it was 40 when, when they went, right? It's 85 now. And he almost sounds like he's talking about it like it's his birthday. I'm 85 years old. The promise was made to me. Joshua, you remember it. You were there. We were the faithful ones. I followed along. I made this claim. I wanted to push forward, and Moses promised me this land. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, give me this hill country. In fact, it's a wonderful translation in the New King James Version. Give me this mountain. Give me this hill country. Give me this mountain that the Lord promised me on that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. What, who are the Anakites? The Anakites, actually, uh, the Nephilim will be descendants of them as well. These are giants. This is, this is the line of giants who will, be, uh, will give birth to, for instance, Goliath down the road. So Caleb's saying, look, I may be 85, but I want the hill country. I want the, the second key. I am asking for the hard territory. Some of us believe leadership to be this wonderful little gift to us that we get to have and take up this space for a time and have our name on a card or in a position. A president, an RA, a worship leader, a student mentor. Don't forget this, though. God calls leaders to take his people to the difficult places. In fact, I want to just say to you, second key in all of this is to ask for the difficult. 
Ask God for the difficult thing. Some of us know people who are pessimistic or whining about almost everything. God's leaders are called to look realistically at what's going on and say, send me in, send me in. When it's difficult, send me in. When that student is considering going home, send me in. When our campus is feeling discouraged because they're worried about whether the fall semester might be canceled, send me in to be the encouragement, to lead our way through. The truth is, if it's not difficult, maybe we don't even need leaders. If everybody's going to do just fine without the leaders, then why do we even need them? In fact, leaders are necessary, needed because of the difficult. And great leaders, young student friend of mine, church family member, God's leaders step up and say, I want the mountain. I want to claim the mountain in your name. I want to go where the giants that are oppressing us are at. Put me in. I don't feel like shrinking back, falling away. So key number one. Key number one. Do you remember it? Somebody here? What was key number one? Go forward not backward. Key number two, ask for the difficult. Sign up for the difficult stuff. That's where true leaders are needed and required. And key number three, this one right here. Key number three. There's an interesting thing that Caleb says to Joshua as his discussion for why you should give me the difficult territory. He says, look, some 40 40 years uh, old when we went, I was 40 years old when Moses gave us the, the, the challenge to go from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. It's 45 years later. I'm now 85 years old. But here's the deal. I am stronger as an 85-year-old than I was as a 40-year-old. Do you think that's possibly true? It sounds an awful lot like hyperbole. The idea that a person who's lived at least two-thirds of his life would be in a lot stronger condition than he was when he was only a third of the way through. And by the way, he's saying all of this to Joshua. Joshua is a little bit older than him. He, he might be closing in on 100 years old, Joshua might be. And so Joshua listens to him, and he looks across at his older friend who has been a staunch leader, always willing to say the difficult thing, asking for the difficult territory, wanting to move forward. And maybe Joshua is best equipped, maybe even better than me, to be able to listen to what Caleb has to say and go, yeah, I I get it. I get it. You are even stronger today for the battle that is ahead. Maybe it's because of something that happened to Joshua in the fifth chapter of the fifth chapter of Joshua, if you find your way there, Joshua chapter 5. It is before uh, he leads a group of people to surround Jericho and each day for seven days to go around and around Jericho, the walls of Jericho will fall. It's this period of time uh, after he has led them across the Jordan River. And he is now in the promised land with the people. But but before they attack Jericho, and here he is, this leader, by the way, has, this is prior to all of his successes starting to happen, outside of the Jordan crossing. But if you think about it, if you consider uh, this particular leader, his, he's, he's basically someone to take note of because he hung out with Moses. Anybody here have an older brother, older sister that always had the fame, always got the thing done, and, and then you come into a school and you're, 
you're Lowell's little brother, right? You're somebody who's known. Or I had, of course, the privilege of going to schools where often my parents worked. And so my dad, it was called Fergie or Elder Ferg. And so then I became little Fergie. Yeah, that was what I was shooting for. Can you imagine, by the way, one of the most prominent opportunities for leadership we know about for Joshua prior to Moses' death is his going with these as one of the 12 spies. And what happens? His influence isn't enough to carry the day. He loses the argument. That's his leadership resume outside of just hanging out with Moses and being there with Moses. In fact, check this out. If you dip back to Joshua chapter 1, we read it as we got started. Joshua chapter 1 talks about, after verse, verse 1, after the death of Moses, servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all these people will cross, and I'll give you every place where you set your foot. You're going to now be the leader. Be strong and courageous, right? But if you lean back into the coronation of Joshua as leader, you have to dip back a page into the 34th chapter of Deuteronomy. Check it out. Check out Deuteronomy chapter 34 and the ninth verse. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. So this is going to be their new leader. Filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials in his whole land. For no one has ever known the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. This Joshua is just a good excuse for us to talk about Moses. Little Fergie, right? Here's Joshua. But he has a spirit of moving forward as was demonstrated with those other 11 spies, he and Caleb. Let's move forward. He's also got the kind of spirit willing to take on the difficult things because in the fifth chapter of Joshua, about the 13th verse, what happens is on an early morning walk, maybe he's collecting his thoughts, maybe he's even talking to God As he is making his way down some uh, misty pathway in the early morning light, he can't even see terribly clearly, but there is a figure in the pathway. As he's walking along, there is a large figure standing in the pathway with a sword that is drawn. This, okay, I don't know about you, but that's a moment where I go, okay, so there's a, is there a left here? Can I, can I, uh, what's, mm? <clears throat> not, not Joshua. Joshua has the courage to move forward. Joshua has the courage to go toward difficult things. He walks toward him. And it doesn't say so, but I got to imagine if you're going to start, if you're going to just walk up on a guy with a drawn sword and you have a sword, I'm thinking <laughs> you might want to get it out, right? Because his question of the figure down the path is going to be, are you on our side or on the side of our enemies? Now, I don't know what you think the implications are of the answers to this. On our side, good deal. On the side of the enemies, I'm thinking basically Joshua is asking this simple question. Are we going to do this? Is it go time? Are we going to have it out right here? Is that what we're doing? Are you on our side or are you on the side of the enemy? Because we'll do it. I'll, I'll come forward. I'll keep walking forward. You find it there, the 13th verse of Joshua chapter 5. <coughs> Joshua 
Joshua, near Jericho, looked up, saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand, and Joshua went up to him <laughs> and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? The 14th verse, Neither, this stranger replied. And some scholars suggest a faithful translation of the word we translate here, Neither, would be the simple word, No. <laughs> Are you on our side? Nope. Are you on our enemy's side? Nope. No, neither. In fact, you've got the wrong question, young leader, as you make your way into a coronavirus-concerned uh, uh, campus. You've got the wrong question. Is this, so are you on SA side? Are you on campus ministry side? Whose side are you on? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so, lying flat on his face, shoes off. Book called Patriarchs and Prophets, the description comes that this leader of all the heavenly hosts is none other than Jesus Christ himself. The same one who at a burning bush would say to Moses, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, will say now to Joshua, I'm standing in the path because you cannot move forward, young leader, without an understanding of whose battle this is. This is not yours. It's not, is Jesus on our side? Is God on our, no, no, no. The question is, am I, are you, leader, on his side? As soon as you start wrapping your mind around that, now you start to realize that my strength is his strength. His strength is whether I'm strong or not. So that a Caleb in the 14th chapter of this, the, this same book will say, you know what, I am stronger today than I was those 45 years ago. What that means is I am more tapped into the power of God Almighty and this Jesus Christ, Yahweh, now than I was then. That which will dry out the enemy, that which will conquer the giants, that will scale this mountain, I've got more of it now than I did back then. I've got more of what I need now. And I just challenge you, young leader, with this third key, this thing. I understand it, Cheryl, when you wonder, will we make it through even one semester? We've been putting all of our best thoughts about how we can do it safely, and it might not be that we make it through the semester, but it is not mine. This thing is not yours. It's a free, I am on God's side. And so if it doesn't, if God wills it, it will happen, and I'm on his side. These three keys so far. Forward. Key number two, ask for the different three. Key number three. Gods. Which is part of what makes key number four. <clears throat> I, um, years ago, it's, it's frightening actually that this story comes from 25. It's the date as the year of our Lord, 1995. I, admittedly, um, sorry about this, Matt. I am a Pittsburgh, St Pittsburgh Steeler fan, and uh, that particular year, the Pittsburgh Steelers were occasion a speaking request on the West Coast while on Super Bowl Sunday. As it would turn out, the Pittsburgh Steelers ended up in the Super Bowl. 
do not wish um, ill upon you, and therefore I hope in 1995. And I now had a bit of life, had to get everything set up with a VCR into the, and it was tapes that went in. And so she was going to set that thing to record and record the Super Bowl while I was flying. I would fly. I would land. I would get in my car. I would drive home from the Allentown Airport, and I should get home somewhere toward the end of the third quarter of the Super Bowl. But I had traveled before enough to know that uh, at times with certain sporting events, uh, a, a pilot or an airline attendant might come on and give you an update for this important thing you're missing. So I wanted to make it home in time without having heard anything that I could watch it unencumbered by any kind of spoiling of the surprise, right? You've done some version of this and probably you've had a friend who thinks they're tricky and can share something with you that accidentally gives it away. But oh no, I wasn't. Uh, well, so I, I had figured out all the little pieces of how I was going to make it home without knowing anything about this game. One of them was to wear headphones in the plane, keep, keep stuff going on in my ears in case somebody came on and said something. So the plane lands in Allentown. I'm grabbing my things, making sure I've got everything from the seat pocket. I'm getting stuff from the overhead bin. I'm rolling my way out, and, and, a, and a stewardess leans in and says something to me, but I can't hear her, right? So I lift my headphones, and she leans back in and says, so is Dallas still up by 10? <laughs> I'm not absolutely certain what my reaction to her was, but I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's one I can be proud of. I don't know if I, I'm sure I at least scowled, slammed the headphones back on, and just kind of wide-eyed took my way out the, that ramp, made it to the house, <clears throat> watched what I already knew was going to happen, uh, the Steelers amazingly made a bit of a comeback, but then did end up losing. But I was so disappointed. I've thought about that occasion since then. Because that whole flight back, I was looking forward to something that had already happened. I was looking forward to my own past. <laughs> Not to what God had planned ahead of me. Right now, as we consider these four keys, as we think about the key that is left, this smallest of them, I challenge you to cast your eyes forward, even through difficulty, claiming the truth that this is God's, and not allow yourself to spend all of your leadership energy looking back and wishing we could get back there, thinking that the very best part is what has already happened. Because amazingly, God's plan involves this key, the smallest of the keys. And this key, key number four, is you. I can't tell you how stunning it is to me that God chooses to lead through me. Lead through you. But you and I, we have to claim it. We have to accept it. We have to be willing to understand that there could be someone, something for which 
I am God's precise, small tool to unlock what he has in mind for the future. Could it be that you, young leader, at, on your residence hall, are going to be in the right place at the right time for that young person in the first three weeks who is struggling, trying to figure out if they can stay here? You're the key to them being able to stay. It might unlock things ranging from who they would marry in the future, that their spiritual experience would keep going with Jesus, that they would accomplish and complete a degree unbelievable what this little key might do. Surely, there are many students arriving on campus this week who while on their outward appearance all suited up with a nice tie look the part but do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, could it be some small moment taken, spent on their behalf is the key God would use? I tell you, it's nuts for a God who can make inanimate objects call out his name that he chooses to use us knowing our propensity to fall away, to back up from difficulty, to want to go backwards, to claim for our own what our leadership is, is all about rather than that it is God's in the first place. But he says, no, no, no. Student mentor, student association officer, RAs, campus ministries leaders. I'm going to suggest it could very well be that there will be one of your professors somewhere along the way discouraged and struggling for whom you may be the key to their sticking with it. Our community, your family at home, oh, there's no, no question God has plans for you and you indeed, you are this fourth key wrapped up around these other keys. I just want to say something to you. If you're a student, we would typically at this point be calling our student leaders up along with, the first thing we would do is we would invite our pastors to come up. We would invite our campus chaplains to come up. Our, um, our dean, residence hall deans would come up. Those who lead out with student association um, uh, officers and so forth. We would invite all those individuals up because normally we would have a couple of coat racks that would be up here and there would be hundreds of these keys, all different, hanging from those coat racks because we'd be inviting students through the sanctuary and we'd be placing these keys on your neck just as a metaphor for you to have something tangible that you can hang from your rear view mirror or a doorknob or somewhere in your dorm room, put it on a bulletin board, stick it somewhere else or even put your other keys on it but something tangible, physical, to lay claim to the leadership calling God has brought you on today. And then we would invite our student leaders to all come forward, and as they would come through, we would be placing keys on their necks. Now, we're not able to do that right now. And by the way, if you are a student leader and are listening to this, and you would like a key as a memento, a symbol of the leadership calling on your life, I, I would invite you to consider... Uh, asking for one. We would love to get this to you. The way you would do it is you just send an email to church at southern.edu. You already know the at southern.edu. If it's puzzling to you, just type in church before that. Church. And then anywhere in the body of the text, you use the word key. You can just type key. And that'll get, we'll send you, if you use your southern email address, we'll send you a lanyard with a key for you, a symbol 
of your commitment to leadership and our commitment to you in your leadership. You could, you could type in, I am the key. You could type in, uh, I want a key. You, anything involving the word key, and we'll try to get one of these. We'll try to send one to you. But right now, what I'd like to do is lead a prayer over these, the fourth key, you, our student leaders. And to do so, I have some friends that I would like to invite to come up. I've, I've asked a couple of students, three students, to come. If you don't mind, just come on up, and we're going to invite um, Cheryl to come. I think Juan Carlos is coming. And um, I have one more student that I'm not sure because I haven't met, and I'm, so I'm hoping Naila is here. Is Naila here? Have you seen Naila? She isn't. So Naila, wherever you are, you're the missing spot on our stage. So if you, if you don't mind, just picking a spot, distance just a tiny bit. And what I'd love to invite you to do, if you don't mind, in kind of testament to this understanding and knowledge that God is calling you to lead our students forward, not back, not back to what it was like last year, forward to what's going on this year. That you're saying, look, give us the high hill country. Give us the country. Give us, hey, in the midst of, of all kinds of difficult, challenging discussions around race relationships and COVID and, and gender equity, whatever the situation is, discouragement, frustration, financial concerns, give us the tough stuff. We are willing to follow God's call to lead. But we do so knowing that this is not our battle, this is God's. What I'm going to invite you to do, if you don't mind, is you just kneel here on the stage. Just kneel here on the stage as we pray over you. So right there at home, you, I'm asking you that you would commit to praying over our student leaders. Cheryl is our student association president. And so we just are so thankful for her and all the student leaders that she represents Juan Carlos actually is our renewal student leader, organizing students through our worship services, representing our campus ministries. They represent our student mentors. They represent our RAs working so hard in the dorms, the, the club leaders, any number of other leaders. So right where you are at home, would you bow your head in, in this prayer, would you commit to praying for our student leaders in an ongoing way? Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your word in our lives, for your message to us. Lord, we, I, we know we're prone to want to go backwards. We're prone to look at how one moment, one day was so wonderful and maybe even over time we dress it up in our language so it even appears to be better than it actually was. But we do know you are not calling us back, you are calling us forward. Lord, that space forward in the promised land, it, we, it isn't just... It isn't just honey and milk. Even though that is a land of milk and honey, it is difficult work to move forward with and for you. And we sign up, ask Lord God, give us the, the mountain. Give us the fortified territory, the, the giants. Send us in, please, Lord. And in this moment, as we bow our heads, we say, because of our conviction and because of our centering on you and knowing that you interrupt our leadership journey, standing in the path, 
inviting us to consider and remember this is not about whether you will uh, be on our side. This is about whether we have found ourselves on yours and we claim the promise as we give ourselves to you that what we do will matter in your name because it is yours. So Lord, thank you for making use even of the smallest key making use of us as leaders, we claim the joy, the privilege, and the promise of leading in your name. Jesus, amen and amen. I want to thank you, Juan Carlos. Thank you, Cheryl. And uh, thank you for leading our students as we go through this year. We are in it with you. If you can see where these cameras are, our church family is blessed to be your family and to partner with you through your leadership. And so happy Sabbath to everyone. <laughs>